I don't know if you've heard and seen over uh, the last week or so, they say now they've established they can make oxygen on, on one of the planets, the red planet. Because this is where they want to ship all of these people off to. You know, we're all going to get on a spaceship. Elon Musk, you know, here we go, Elon Musk. Get on one of these spaceships and they shoot us off and we're going to live on the moon and everywhere. Well, good luck. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. There's only one planet that God made for man, and this is this planet, yes? It is this one here. There's not going to be oxygen on other planets, okay? They're wasting their time, they're wasting their money, they're wasting all of their ideas and thoughts. When man thinks he's so wonderful and brave and knows a lot of things, he knows nothing. So uh, that was a good prophecy update. And by the way, let me also tell you, these intensifying that you see about aliens, have you seen this? The U.S. now, and now they spot more alien ships, and they spot more a lot of things. There is no aliens. Let me just tell you that, okay? Take it from me. If you don't want to believe anybody else, believe me, okay? <laughs> there's no aliens. Let me just tell you there's demon manifestations going on. A child of God should know these things. No aliens is coming. They've, they've apparently, I've, during this week, I've, I've heard the sound which they can measure now out of one of the black holes. And there's a sound coming out of it. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's... Somehow they find some message out of it. I don't know what they find, but all they find is results, donuts, nothing. There is no aliens coming. There is no aliens going to land. There's no aliens going to zoop, take you out like the movies do. And let me just say, let me just say, you see, this is my two minutes, Brother Glenn, prophecy update, call it whatever you want to call it. Even, even Hollywood, the world knows what's coming. The world knows what's coming. It amazes me that the church don't know what's coming. Yes, it is true. You know why the world knows this, Anne? It's because the world is watching the Hollywood movies. A lot of Christians don't watch that. And it's good, because there's a lot of filthy stuff in there. But what they also do is some of them read the Bible and Revelation, they try to, and they've got all these movies, you know, about alien invasions and earthquakes and big tsunamis and all of these nonsense. And, you know, even Christians sometimes read it and they eat it up like sweet cake. They just want to eat it, you know. But it is, it is not. If you want to know what's coming, the rapture is coming. And they need to find excuses for the rapture when the rapture is going to happen. This is why they've got to have all of this stuff, you know. And, and it's happening, you know. The Bible says in the last days they're going to, they're going to ID you. They're going to follow you. you won't be, there's going to be no place for you to hide. They're putting chips in your hands. They, all of this nonsense stuff. If you want to know what's going to happen, read Revelation. But understand prophecy. Prophecy. It makes up the biggest part of your Bible. Yeah? Prophecy. And you need to understand that. So, uh, so I just wanted to say that there's a lot of things that I want to say. And maybe we'll have a sermon one day about that. Yes? There's a lot of things going on. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived, my brother. You're right. Don't listen. Test every single thing. Test it. If they say, oh, this, Christ is in the wilderness. There's a lot of people who's going to run after that. Oh, Christ is now in Melbourne. Oh, Christ is there. And people, no, it's not. It's false Christs. The real Christ is going to come. And you will know how it's going to come because the Bible describes exactly how he's going to come. Exactly. 
You know, when we go to the home service once a month uh, at Fabian's house, my brother Oral blows the sofa. <laughs> That's beautiful sound if you don't hear it. It is a loud sound. The sofa. You know why they blew the sofa? To bring all the people together in war times in the Old Testament. But you know when my Lord is going to blow his sofa, his trumpet, he's going to gather all his people together. Amen? Are you getting excited about that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I better come preaching because otherwise I'll just stay on talking about prophecy update. Everybody wants to do that these days. But uh, just be careful what you hear and what you say. Maybe I'll do that every Sunday now or every so and now and then. Give you a little bit of an update. Yes? But you sit there and say, I know already all of these things, but there are people who may not. Amen. Let's get into the word today. Is that why you came here today? To hear the word of the Lord? I'm not going to disappoint you. I just want to hear what the Lord says. You need to come to church with this in mind. I'm on, brother, yes. Uh, you need to come to church with this in mind. Lord, what, what do you want to teach me today? From these little children here right to the back, everybody. Lord, what do you want to teach me today? And there will be a message in every single sermon you hear from the Lord to you. It's not by chance you are sitting here today. It's not by chance you're going to hear the sermon about chosen to serve. And as you know, we walk through in the book of Acts. And we come to a really important passage in the book of Acts, chapter 6. But let me remind you just of this verse. Remember, this is the key verse to the book of Acts. Never forget this. If you want to understand the book of Acts, you need to understand this verse. Because this verse is written... And the whole book of Acts is packed out. It's like an onion. There's a layer upon a layer upon a layer. If you read this, you will not go askew. You won't be deceived through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is such an important book for the church today. Because so many churches build their doctrine upon the book of Acts. They come to you and me and they say, we need to go back to the church of Acts. And I go, what's wrong with this church? I'm not talking about Kingsway, Karam Downs Church. I'm talking about the church. What is wrong with the church then? I mean, we can't possibly go back to that church in the book of Acts. We can't. And I'll show that to you. And there's no way that Jesus Christ came or that one of the apostles came out, Peter, James, John. Nowhere do I read for them that they write in any one of the epistles to the Christians, you need to return to the early church format. You need to return to the book of Acts church. You need to, to return to home church. Nowhere, nowhere. Yet, it is so much preached today and people follow, they follow doctrines which is not even doctrines. And, and the Bible says that you and I need to continue in the doctrine of the apostles, which is the doctrine of the Lord. One of the apostles who wrote the most in the New Testament is Paul. And he himself testified about himself that he received his doctrine, not his, the doctrine that he wrote from the Lord himself. That came from the Lord. So we need to understand that when they gather together with the Lord Himself, this is Jesus' words. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive that dunamis power, the dynamic power to be my witnesses. That's a key word. That's a very key word in this whole sentence. 
Why will you receive this power? This power. It's not there to show people the power you've got. This power is to empower you to do the work of God. This is why you receive this power. The Holy Spirit power is not there to be put on a stage. It's not there to, to show the whole world and to make fun of it. The Holy Spirit power is to empower you to do the work of God. And now I'm talking to every single person in this place. Although Jesus said these words to his disciples then, these words were written in your and my Bible, and it, it, it applies to you and it applies to me. If you sitting here today, you need to know if you call yourself a Christian that you are called for service. What is that calling that's upon each and every one here? From this little girl here to the front, every single body, when Jesus Christ calls you, He calls you for a purpose. These young, these young men out here, the purpose is to go and make disciples. How is God going to spread His gospel if it's not through you? Because there's no angels preaching the gospel right now. There's no funny ways God is using to preach His gospel. His gospel is preached through mouth. And His gospel is preached through people. And how can you preach His gospel? You sit here today and you say, Oh, I'm so afraid to talk about my faith. Why are you afraid? Because the fear of the world, the perception of the world makes you afraid. You need to receive power to overshadow the fear of the world to be able to preach and to talk about your faith. And you can't do it on your own. You can't do it. You need the power of God. These men, these men couldn't do it. Peter himself ran away from Christ. All the disciples ran away except John who was standing at the cross. But even John when he stood at the cross didn't try to stop them. So fear is one of those things which will paralyze your faith. And if you're going to go, I'm going to be better at fear, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be harder at faith. No, no, you can't do it. You need the power of God. And he says it to them, you shall receive this power. You can't buy this power. You can't pray and pray and pray and pray until you get the power. You can't do anything. This power comes to you when you are born again. The Spirit of God comes. He lives inside of you and He's with you forever. And you should shout hallelujah to God. Because without that power, you and I are hopeless in this world. This is why this verse is so critical and powerful. He says, you will be my witness. The word witness is martyr. You've heard me say this before. A martyr is somebody who dies for something he believes in. And he says, now you're going to be this to me in Jerusalem. You're going to be it for me in Judea. You're going to be it in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where you're going to be this. And this is why this verse is so key. You've heard me say before that the book of Acts is a transitional book, remember? It's a transition from the Jews to the Gentiles. You will even see the message about the gospel will transition into the gospel how Paul proclaims the gospel. All these things change. For now, these men are doing great work, but they're doing it in Jerusalem. They are preaching the gospel, and the hardship they are doing it, and the goodship they are doing it. They are preaching the gospel, but it's all happening in Jerusalem, and it's, they are preaching to whom? They are preaching to Jews. But 
if they keep on doing this, how is the gospel then going to go out to the world? How? Because we are interesting. People are interesting. We all fall into a comfort zone, don't we? We love our comfort zones. And, and if I come to you and I say, I want to change. Everybody say the word change. Do you like change? I'm going to be the first one putting my hand up. I'm not good with change. Ask my wife. I'm not good with change, okay? I'm not going to be hypocritical. I love to come into a, a set form. I do the one thing, one after the other. Tomorrow I wake up, I like everything to be in place. Tomorrow I wake up, everything is in place. I like to go through routine. Routine is a good thing. But not for the child of God. We fall into this comfort zone. We come to church. We sit, and Pastor John is going to preach to us the sermon. I'm going to sit there and listen, and then I'm going to get in my car. We're going to fellowship a little bit. I'm going to go home and wait until next Sunday when I can come and sit and listen again to the sermon. That's comfort zone. That's comfort. What happened next Sunday when you've come here and I'm not here? Because that can happen. Who knows that? What if there's now a new person here and you don't like that person? You see, change happened. And all of a sudden, you're out of your comfort zone or something at work happened. Change is inevitable. It will happen. Change is constant. And these men came into their comfort zone even after this has happened. They've had a wonderful experience in the upper room. You remember that? They came out speaking in tongues. Miracle. The power was so evident. Peter even went to a man, pulled him up, and he says, Walk! I haven't got gold or silver for you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. But where did they go? That happened at the temple, isn't it? Their comfort was every time to go to the temple. That's their comfort. What are you going to do today, Peter? I'm going to go to the temple. How many times, Peter? Three times. Hey, John, what about you? I'm going to go to the temple. Who are you going to talk to there at the temple? To the Jews. Hey, John, why don't you talk to the Gentiles? No, no, no. I can't talk to the Gentiles. I talk to the Jews. Why do I want to go and talk to the Gentiles? Hey, Peter, what about you? No, no, no. Forbid that I even touch them. Hey, James, what about you there? No, no, leave me out here. I'm okay. You see, this is the comfort zone they're in. They are preaching to Jews. They are preaching in Jerusalem. So how is God going to bring this gospel out? Well, God is going to use His Spirit, we will see. He's using His Word, but here is the big thing. He's going to use circumstances to push these men out of their comfort zone. Immediately, you need to learn a lesson here. Because sometimes something happened in your life, which you didn't plan. It takes you out of your comfort zone. And immediately, what do you do? You complain to the Lord about it. Oh Lord, why is this to me now? I was so comfortable here. I was doing your work here. Come on, I was giving your work. I was preaching to Jews here. I was, you know, something's... Now, why would you want to do this, Lord? Isn't that us? That's me. That's me sometimes. We love our comfort zones. And we want, listen to this, we want God to use us in your comfort zones. Come on, Lord, come and use me in my comfort zone. Well, God's ways is not our ways, yes? And He's got His plans. So this is what happens now. He's going to use his spirit, his word, and circumstances. And in this case, persecution and eternal problems in the church to do what? He needs to push these people out of their comfort zone into Judea and then eventually into Samaria. Who's living in Samaria? 
Samaritans, that's very easy. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I was hoping for that answer. Who is Samaritans? Do you know who Samaritans is? They are half Jew, half Gentile. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. If, if you had to go from A to B, and Samaria was lying in the middle, they would go from A to A plus to B. They would walk around not to walk through. This is why in John chapter 4, it was strange that Jesus Christ stopped at the well in Samaria and met the Samarian woman. And this is strange for her that he spoke to her. And it was strange for his disciples that he spoke to a Samaritan woman. It was unknown of. So how, how is he going to push them out from there to go into the other parts? And what is that? It first of all starts through persecution. And they are starting to experience persecution. The Pharisees. The sad you sees. You know those group of people that are sad you see. The sad you sees. They were persecuting them. But today we're going to come to a really interesting one. In Acts chapter 6 verse 1. He says, Then in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring, everybody say murmuring, of the Hellenists against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. There became a fight, actually. It's a murmuring. You know the word murmuring is really interesting. It's a key word in this verse. That's the key word. If you want to understand the key word in this verse, it's the word murmuring. Murmuring comes from the Greek word kogosmos, and it sounds to me very, very close to gossip. I don't know if it's, but it sounds, it starts with a G, okay? And it's always the second one. Girl gossip. That's the same thing, by the way. He says, they were murmuring, and Gogosmos means it's a secret debate. A secret debate. We all know what I'm talking about. Come on. Come on. We know what gossiping is all about. It is when you talk with a group of people or another person about another person, when another person is not with this another person to hear what this another person is saying about that another person. It's all happening in secret. That's the word murmuring. We all know what I'm talking about. There's a gossiping that starts happening here. And the gossiping here is between two groups here. The Hellenists against the Hebrews. Now, who's these two groups? The he Hebrews were the Jews who stayed in what you call Palestine today. Those were the Jews who stayed in the land. But these people, the Hellenists, is also called Grecians. They were the ones coming from the outside for these feasts. So what's happening here? They were living amongst the Greeks. And they had the influence of the Greek culture. So the Greek culture could have mingled a little bit with the Jewish culture. Remember, they were not Christians before this. They didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They were meddling with the Greek culture. And they had the Jewish culture and they combined these two things together. So they had some of the foundations of the Jews. But when they came in and were born again, it's not as if those things just disappear like that. Yes, the Bible says that He will forgive you your sins, but then He will cleanse you from your... Your unrighteousness is your way of life. So these two groups came together now. And there's a murmuring, there's a gossiping going on from the Hellenists. 
They say, come together. They say, can you see these Hebrews? Every time when we get together, what are they doing? They're giving more to their widows than to our widows. Who do they think they are? Who do they dare think they are? We are also as important as them. Gossip. Talking. Let, let me just say that every church has got this. I've been a Christian for many years now, and I find this in all the churches. This is not a new thing. Gossiping is like a termite. Who knows what's a termite? I've read this story about a man. He says I was driving, and as he was driving home, you know, on the side, there's this massive tree that grew. And he, he watched this tree over the years. One day there was a massive storm that came through, as, as we know what's happening here. The wind was blowing against this tree, man. All the leaves was like just hanging over, but the tree didn't fall over. It was strong. It had a good root system. The tree stood there with all of its power. He says, bring it on, storms. Well, there was another storm, and there was lightning, and it hit one of the branches. Boom, right off. But the tree stood still. A new branch started growing out of that place. Strong, mighty. And this man says, every time I drove past, I can see the tree becoming even more bigger and stronger. And the trunk was that big. Nothing is going to break this thing down. See, then one day he drove past and there's the tree just lying down. Because what has happened here? There wasn't a storm. Not that I know of. So he stopped his car and he got over the fence and he walked over to this tree because he wants to see what's going on here. And as he gets closer to the tree and he touches it, it broke like just pieces of nothing. And then he saw it, termites. You know what brought that strong tree down? It wasn't the effects from the outside. It was the stuff that's happened on the inside. Let's learn the lesson. You know, this happens in churches. Gossip is like that. You know, the devil will use gossip like a termite to bring splits in churches to damage churches, to damage souls, because he is the enemy of a soul. He walks around like a roaring lion. He will use gossiping. Remember next time, if somebody comes to you and say, I did you hear? Did you hear? Oh, what did I hear? If it sounds like something gossip, say, let's bring that person in. That will stop it straight away. It will close your ear, honestly. I did it in New Zealand once. I did it once. There was a lady who came to me and my wife. She wanted to talk to that person, and I pick up my phone. And she said, what are you doing? I said, no, no, let's call that lady to come. Oops. That stopped the conversation. She left the church. She left the church. I don't know, maybe in another church there's another gossiping going on. We have to be careful, but this is what happened here. You see, if you think about that verse and you think about what happened in chapter 4, verse 32, only a few chapters before, the multitude of those who believed, which were the Hellenists and the Hebrews, those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And this is why I said back then, this is not where you find the model for the church of today, where they sold everything, they, the, everything they possessed, of the, wasn't it their own, but they had all things in common. It doesn't say today we have to do, if I come over to you and say, okay, let's see, who's all the homeowners here? Now, we want you to sell all your homes and bring your money to me. Just bring it. I will look after your money. I will. Come on, you've got to trust me. Look at it. You know, I've got a jacket on. I look trustworthy. 
Bring your money in. That's not the church model for today. Yes, you've got to give because your house belongs to God. And this is why in this church, I don't never preach tithing. Have you heard me preach tithing? No, it's offering. It doesn't even belong to me. It doesn't belong to this church. It's God's money. And you offer because you give to God freely. And you receive freely. But here is what it is. You know, all of a sudden, there's a murmuring going on. And all of this great, peaceful multitude here now is disturbed by this murmuring. But you see, this is not new. Strife is not new. I want to quickly read to you in Genesis chapter 13. If you've got your Bible, open up there. Strife amongst brethren goes way back in the Old Testament. Here we find in Genesis 13 verse 5, Lot, who remember Lot? And Abraham. Now they, they, they gather together and they move together and they, they seem to be happy. But in, in Genesis 13 verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them. There's a problem. That they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Let me just quickly throw in here. God had to use Abraham. At this point in time, his name was Abram, not Abraham. So God had to cut off from Abraham all of the influences from him. First, he had to leave his own country. He had to leave his family. But there was one person who latched onto him. His name is Lot. God first had to remove Lot from him before God can use him. Can you see? If I go back a few uh, sketch, if you can see, this is maybe where Lot was, but God needed to get him to the earth. So God was going to use circumstances to push Abraham to the point that God can use him. And here, it was their possessions, and the land was not good enough to hold both of them. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And this fascinates me now. Because if you read in context, all of this makes sense. Here is Lot with all of his people and his herd. Here is Abraham. The land is too small. Now that's the problem. But then, I read this verse. Uh, this, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Hold on to that thought. Because in verse 8 it says, So Abraham said to Lot, He says, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It doesn't make sense to me when I read this the first time. He's talking here about Abraham and Lot. Now there's strife between the two of them. Abraham says, We are brethren. Let there not be strife against us, between us. Why? then this made sense to me. Because the Canaanites and the Parasites then dwelt in the land. Let me translate to you. It's not good for brethren to fight. Why? Because the world is looking on. The world is looking on what's going on in the church. The world is looking on at the murmuring. You see... Whilst this is the blessed man of God, Abram, God called him out. Lot came along. And now if this fight, the world stands there on the sideline. The Parasites and the Canaanites and say, Oh, these, this is supposed to be God's chosen one. Look how they fight amongst each other. Are you with me now? It didn't make sense to me. 
that all of a sudden we're talking about Lot and, and then all of a sudden this came in. Now Abraham uses humility and wisdom. And this is what strife always needs. If you're in strife, the one who shows humility and wisdom is the one who solves the problem. He says, it's not the whole land before you, Lot. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. You see, this is humility. Abram could have stood up there and said, hey, wait a minute. Who's the, who's the chosen of the Lord here? Who, who did God call? It was me, Abraham. Who are you? Come on, take your stuff and get away. Isn't that how we do that? When we get into a strife, the first thing that we look at is ourselves. Hey, wait a minute, I'm the right one here and you are the wrong one here. I've seen this between husbands and wives and fathers and children and everything. I'm the right, I'm the right one and you are wrong. And the other one says, no, no, I'm right and you are wrong. Isn't that how strife happens? Humility and wisdom. That's the answer for strife. When you come to a strife, take the humility. Humility means I put myself last. You can do what you want to do. Isn't that what Jesus did? He took on the form of a bond servant, humbled himself to the lowest part. And this is what Abraham's doing here. And in fact, this is what the apostles is doing here. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples to them and said, it is not this reason that we should leave the word of God and serve the tables. They are doing a very good thing. They say, look, this is now working here. You're talking about serving the tables. It is not good for us as the apostles to leave the word of God. And I see that happen so many times in churches. You know how I see that? There is no place in a church for a CEO of the church. There is no place in a church for a president of the church. There is no place for a vice president. All of these titles and names you've got in churches now. Even the word pastor. You know all we are? We are elders. The Bible calls us elders. I'm an elder. I'm an overseer. That's what I am. And, and soon, you know, we will continue in our church and the Lord will show and we will appoint more elders in this church. But we will also appoint more deacons in this church. Because a deacon is the, is the one who's going to do the work. And we've, got, we've already got the function of deacons working in this church. We've got brethren who's doing the table. We've got brethren who's packing up and packing down. And by the way, thank you so much. I know that the brothers who's doing this, packing up and down, is not doing it for accolades. I know you're doing it out of the love of... You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for this church. You're doing it for God. Brothers and sisters, I'm not preaching here for you. I'm not preaching here for me. I'm preaching here for God. I give Him my time. And this, is, this is so wonderful that these men said, we're going to stay with the Word of God. Because, you know, John 15 verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You need to underline this scripture verse in your Bible. In fact, you need to learn this scripture verse off by heart. Can you see what's happening in the church? There's a murmuring going on. A murmuring. And these men says, no, we're going to stay with the word of God. With the word of God. Now verse 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye amongst yourself for seven men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, 
and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want you to notice here that he gives three, three distinct ways that these men need to be. First of all, they need to be of an honest report. This is important for you and for me. An honest report. What is people thinking about you? What is your reputation, not only in this church, but at your workplace? If I go to your workplace and I walk around there and say, Hey, you know this John fella? Can you tell me about him? Oh, you better watch out for him. If things go good, it is great. But if it's not going so great, man, he can un unload. Is that, is that your report? What is people going to remember you by? I remember again the story that I've heard about Bill Gator. I don't know if you know Bill Gator. Him and his wife was going to buy a land and they, they in the place somewhere in America and they saw this piece of land and they found out who the owner of the land is. And, and people said to them, don't even bother go to that man. He's not going to sell that land to you. They said, but why? We've got the money we want to lay out and buy the land. No, no, this man made a promise he will not sell that land. He made a promise to the farmers that he will leave that land as is for the farmers. So Bill and Gloria went to this man. And they sat down with him and they said to him, Sir, we are new to the place and we are seeing this land. We want to build a house there. And he says, don't bother. Don't even worry. Don't come to me. I'm not selling the land. They said, but, you know, I'm a teacher. I want to come in here. I want to build it. He says, don't even worry about it. What's your name? He says, my name is Bill Gator. He said, wait a minute. Are you, are you familiar with an Oscar Gator? Oscar something. I, I think I haven't got the right name there, but it was a name similar to that. He goes, yes, it's my grandfather. He says, oh, is that your grandfather? I know your grandfather. He was such an honorable man. And then they went away. And, and a few weeks later, the man called them up. He says, you can come and sit down. And they will talk about selling the land to them. All of a sudden, his mind changed. Bill said to them, he said, well, how much do you want for the land? He said, no, it's $3,500 per hectare or how big it was. And Bill thought, look, I need 15 of that. Maybe it's going to be a price times. So he says, no, this is for all of the 15. So he gave him a good price. Now, Bill says these words, and this stuck with me. He said he was building the house, and later on he walked with one of his grandchildren. And as they walked, he said, I want you to understand, we wouldn't have had this land if it wasn't for your grandpa's great reputation he had and great report with this man. Brothers and sisters, we are sitting here because of the great report of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you... Have you good a good report, an honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost, and of wisdom? These three things. And they brought to them, they chosen Stephen. I love it when it says a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. What will people say about you today? Are you full of faith? Are you full of the Holy Ghost? Remember, this was only for deacons. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
You see, we always see these two men's names because we're going to see next week and the weeks after about Stephen. And we're going to learn more about Philip when he preached to the Enoch. But we haven't heard about these men. It's going to be wonderful in heaven to walk one day there and to walk up to Nicanor and say, What a beautiful name, Nicanor. I'm John. Isaac Johannes Shippen from South Africa. He wouldn't know that, but he doesn't care. Tell us more about that day. That day when they brought you in front of everybody. How was it? Do you know that these men full of the Holy Spirit did some wonderful work for God? It's not written in the Bible, but he doesn't care because God knows about it. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter who you are. God will use you and he will know about that. But I want to hurry on to the last point for today. Verse 6, it says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. You see that? And again, I want to come back and I want to correct something here today. And that is that there's this notion that's coming out that there is some miraculous power in the laying on of hands. You know, it's all about the laying on of hands. And people think, whoa, you know, if they lay hands on them, that's how now they're going to be power, kind of come, zoop power into them. It's not that. It's a simple explanation. You know, why am I not laying hands on everybody in this church? I can go every Sunday and lay my hands on you. It's going to be nothing. Nothing. There's no power in that. No, the Bible, in fact, in Timothy says, be not quickly to lay hands on. And you need to put it into context. So what does it mean when they laid hands on them? Well, we go back to Leviticus to find an understanding about this. In Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3, If an offering of a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Listen to this now. Then he shall put, this is the man who brought the animal, he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. What does it mean? What does it mean when he lays his hand on that animal? And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. In other words, if, if they come and they lay their hand on that animal, it means as if that animal is now representing you. Are you with me now? So now that animal is going to be burnt and offered in my place. That is the laying on of hands. So what does it mean here? When they laid their hands on them, they showed the people that these men are now like them, part of the ministry. That is what it means. It's not all of a sudden they're going to get the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, when they came, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit already. You see that? So it's not, hey, choose three men, and now when they're going to come with seven men, we're going to lay hands over them, and all of a sudden they get zoop power, Holy Spirit going, no, no, they're already filled with the Holy Spirit. All this now happens with the laying on of these hands is to say that now you are equal yoke with us in ministry, although you're doing the work as a deacon. doesn't matter. You can also preach, as we're going to see that's happened. Just a short, small clear-up of uh, scripture because these days some churches oh we need to come that that man lay his hands on you why that man 
What makes that man so special? What makes me so special? No, no. We do ordination by that. Yes, it's fine. If we get the second pastor coming in, we will ordinate him. What do we do? I may lay my hands on him. And what am I saying by laying my hands on him? Brother, you are now part with me in this ministry. This is your responsibility. This is the laying on of hands. Final scripture verse. Verse 7. And the word of God increased. Why would the word of God increase? Because these men stuck with praying and reading the word. It increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now let me just show you here. The word of God increased. The number of disciples were multiplied. Why were they multiplied? Because of the word of God. There's no talk here of miracles. There's no talk here of special services. No, no. What is going to multiply the people for this church? The Word of God. The Word of God. Never get tired for the Word of God. Amen? And they greatly, uh, uh, and, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, this does not mean that there is a, a, an opening or an office for priests. There's not an office. There's only one office in the church. I can tell you what the Bible teaches me. And that is the office of eldership and deacons. Eldership of deacons. Amen. Have we learned something today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. As we learn this lesson today, as we continue, Lord, to grow in grace and faith, I pray, Lord, that you will bless the hearers today. And Father, as we've learned about murmuring, help us today. Help us, Father, even in our workplace, not to become part of that murmuring crowd, but, Father, to call upon you, upon every problem we have, upon every opportunity we have. Father, when this happens, Lord, I do praise that you give us humility and that you give us wisdom. Wisdom is to know how to apply the knowledge we've got. So, Father, I do want to pray and worship you in Jesus.